am Sharon Ewers, and I'm the teacher librarian here at Arcadia High School, so I'd like to welcome all of you who are from far-flung places. We're glad you're here, and thank you for coming. We have a wonderful panel of guests with us today, and I, uh, I'm going to introduce Anne, and then she will introduce the rest of the panel and tell you how the, the afternoon is going to go. So Dr. Anne Eubank is the Education Liaison Librarian at ASU West. Um, she has been a librarian, a school librarian, a high school teacher, a middle school teacher, and she works with pre-service and in-service teachers on helping them integrate information literacy skills into content areas. So Dr. Eubank will introduce the rest of the panel and I will turn it over to her. Um, we'll start with introductions. Um, these, this is a panel of really excellent librarians uh, that work with all kinds of students at Arizona State University. And when I put the call out for, um, for assistance with um, this panel, they immediately responded and they were really excited about this opportunity. So we'll introduce ourselves and then we're gonna do a short activity. We're gonna have an interactive panel discussion and then we're going to break into five groups and do um, some breakout work. Okay, we'll start with Melissa. Okay, I am Melissa Guy and I'm a social sciences librarian at ASU. My subject specialties are history and women's studies, Spanish and Latin American studies. I actually um, also do um, research in Latin American studies. Uh, I've worked with a lot of freshmen over the years, both as an instructor and as a librarian. Um, when I was at the University of Arizona, I taught freshman level history classes um, in Latin American history and I also taught freshman level Latin American studies classes at Ohio State when I was there. So I know um, I've worked with a lot of freshmen on the instructor side, developing assignments to teach history, but also um, doing information literacy coursework in the library um, with freshmen in English composition classes, in first year women's studies classes, and also in history classes. I'm Ellen Welty from the ASU Library at the Polytechnic campus. And at the moment, I'm the only library, only reference librarian there. So my subject areas range from English 101 to aviation to applied biology to um, agribusiness to um, you name it. So I teach information literacy skills to a variety of um, subject areas. I teach the freshman comp um, library instruction classes and um, I get to answer a variety of reference type questions. I, uh, my subject specialization is education and children's literature, so, um, but my, my bachelor's degree is in Spanish actually, <laughs> and so I'm familiar with the literature in general. Um, Hi, I'm, I'm Julie Tharp and I work on the Tempe campus, so we have like 50,000 students on this campus. Um, and I am the, the instruction librarian at the ASU libraries, which means that um, I am the liaison from the libraries to what they call the writing programs. And it's, the writing programs is the English comp program. And every student has to take, these are core classes, every student has to take the English comp classes to graduate. Most of them, the vast majority of them take them as freshmen. So I work with um, the writing programs as a program and with the instructors. And most of those assignments that they have, the papers that they have to write in the English comp classes, require some kind of research component. And it's not required that the writing programs instructors work with a librarian. 
so not all of them do. Um, at the Tempe campus, we have over 500 sections of English comp that are taught, um, 185 instructors, so, <laughs> and me, <laughs> and the library. So um, not all of them do work with me, you know, just the ones that, that I've been able to reach and that know about me. So for a lot of those classes, they will have the opportunity, they, the students have the opportunity to work with me or one of my colleagues um, to learn how to do the research component. Um, I also work with another program called the Learning Communities, which is a freshman program where the students kind of sign up for a, a theme-based sort of cohort program, and they actually have a librarian assigned to each one of those, so I work with them as well. Uh, my name is Bianna Ine, and I am a reference and instruction librarian at the West Campus. Um, most of what I do uh, deals with freshman students, first-year students. I do a lot of instruction with first-year students. I'm also um, the outreach librarian for the library, so I, you know, see students outside of the classroom setting. So I see them in their clubs and in, in different settings. Um, part of my background, I've worked with a residential life, and I've also worked with student life at ASU. So I've seen students in a myriad of different situations, and I know, you know, that the information needs and things that they, they gather from, you know, what we do here really transcends to basically every area of their life. So I think that this kind of work is important, and that's it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for um, introducing yourselves. Um, we're going to start with a short introduction activity. Um, we're going to do a think-pair-share. And so what I'd like you to do is to take a moment um, to think about the first time that you used your college library way back in your undergrad, okay? Um, what was your experience? What do you remember about it? The first time you ever had to do research in college. So just take one minute to talk to a neighbor about that and then we'll discuss. Um, I'd like to just share a short story that I sh just shared with my panel. I was um, a freshman um, in college in 1992, so it wasn't that long ago, right? Um, and I went to NAU. NAU has one library. It's the Klein Library. And I had a freshman level assignment. It was a group presentation. And I remember freaking out because I could not find a book. I did not understand the Library of Congress call number system. You know, in, in school libraries and public libraries, um, the, the norm is Dewey Decimal. So that's what I knew. And my um, classmate, she, she got angry with me because I was so freaked out and frustrated. And she had to show me how to do it. And I just remember being in tears about it because I was so frustrated. I didn't know that there was a librarian that could help me. I didn't know who to ask for help. Um, luckily, that classmate helped me. So um, that's, that was my first experience doing um, college-level research, research. And it wasn't a pleasant one. But um, luckily, you know, I became a librarian, so I guess I, I warmed up to it a little bit. Um, <laughs> But um, Ellen, <laughs> and, so. Ellen and Julie have been with ASU Libraries for um, quite a few years, both of you. Um, Bianna, <laughs> Melissa, and I are relatively new. So I'm going to let um, Ellen and Julie talk a little bit about what the libraries are like at ASU, um, just a general lay of the land, okay? And maybe how things have changed with the online versus microfiche and that sort of thing. ASU has eight libraries on four campuses. Our holdings are 4.7 million <laughs> books, <laughs> and I don't have any idea how many periodicals we have anymore. We have over 400 databases, 
most of which can be accessed from off campus. And um, our biggest library, Hayden Library, is open 24-7. No, not 24-7, 24-5 for most of the year. On the Tempe campus, five of the eight libraries are on that campus, and, and most of the students arrive really unprepared, but um, they really are overwhelmed. And I, I have heard, I haven't seen it a lot myself, but I hear from a lot of my English comp instructors that their students are crying <laughs> and overwhelmed and frustrated because they come in as freshmen, they are just told that they have to write papers, they have to use sources, and they um, are kind of expected to already have the skills. And they don't. And they, yeah. And that's, that's a really good segue into the next question, which is, um, in terms of freshman students' preparation to conduct academic research, what strengths do they possess, and where do they need assistance or improvement? Yes, Sharon. I have a question. Uh, um, all libraries like to talk about how many books they have, but our students, um, they, they don't seem, at Arcadia, don't seem comfortable using online books yet but they really don't see any reason to use a book at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, do your English teachers require them to use books? or? Well, I haven't noticed that they get a lot of use, unfortunately. As someone who's, you know, a lifelong reader and, and promotes books <laughs> wherever I go, it's really, it hurts me that, that kids don't read. I think they're better students if they read. If I could just add to that, I think ASU is in the, we have a lot of ebooks, but actually they don't get very much use because right. um, students find them difficult to use. And that unless you're using like a reference book, it's hard to read a book online. They don't get um, that much use. I think the use of actual physical monographs depends on the area of study the student chooses. Right. For example, my background is very heavy in the humanities. And if you start taking away the print books in the humanities, like in history, it gets very difficult to do work. So freshman students who um, take entry-level history classes, which are um, part of a set of requirements that they might choose, they do end up having a requirement to go check out X number of books. That's in addition to um, the requirement in assignments that they get articles, and most of the articles they get online. So there is that divide, that most of the monographs are done in print, and the articles are done online. I find that most students are confused <laughs> about, yeah, well, yeah, about um, online books and the way they're accessing them because they think it's a web page and you have to explain to them that no, this is actually a book that's in print. It's just you're just accessing it online, and the same thing with with articles. So mm -hmm. that's that's the only thing that I would add to that. Well, my question is, um, at Chaparral, we're having the same thing. I teach junior English, and we do a research report focused mainly on MLA format. And Glad to part of our requirement yeah. is you must have five sources. Two must be books. Yes, the kind you turn and read, and you actually uh -huh, check out. Pages, and they, they fight it. Now, this year is the first year they haven't. But the thing is, they want to go online and just print off Google website and think it's a credible mm -hmm. source, mm -hmm. even though we, I don't personally allow that. But do the English 101 or 102 classes require, do those teachers and the graduate students teaching them, do they say you must have books? Because some kids come back and go, oh, I didn't have to use a book in college for my research. I, I could do everything online. 
Oh, so I know. We have seniors come into the library and say, this is the first time I've ever been here. I don't, you know. Right. I, I, it's true. <laughs> but, you know, at ASU, at least on the Tempe campus, with so many students, you, you'll get a little bit of everything. And the way that they, uh, the writing programs, the English composition um, program works at the Tempe campus is it's completely unstandardized. So every instructor can do whatever. They have to have, they have to have certain meet certain requirements and do certain assignments but as far as like how many sources they have to use what kinds of sources they have to use mm -hmm. completely left up to the instructor so I mean I've seen hundreds and hundreds of different assignments over the years and I have seen instructors that do require books yes and I have seen instructors that don't, don't. so mm -hmm. and the ones that do you know they do complain about it you're right the students do complain but I think they have the same experience that Anna had they just don't even know you know, how to find them. At ASU, it's just so overwhelming and so intimidating because we have so many so libraries, many. and the, the main library that we have that the freshmen really use is, you know, it's just huge. They they could fit their high school, you know, like 10 of their high school libraries in there. So And they say that to you, too. So there's a learning curve before they can do that. Mm -hmm. Question over here? Uh, as, actually, it's a statement. As a school librarian or instructional specialist at Basha High, um, I'm really pleased to see that the teachers do require, you know, like you said, two books, so many internet sites right. and stuff. But what is happening at the junior high level, at the middle school, we get kids come in and say, oh, no, 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 we can't use the database. We can't, that's, that's, that's the internet. So I think we have to start with the, sorry, education of the teachers. And that's why I'm really excited to see all these teachers here because, right. you know, as librarians, we understand that. But, you know, you can't get the kids to understand it if the teachers don't understand it. When I first started at ASU, um, we, we had an, an um, online circulation system, but we did not have an online catalog yet. We still had a card catalog. And um, we had no databases. We had microfiche. And... Um, our indexes were paper indexes, which I probably would have a hard time using now. Um, things have changed so quickly, I think, in the last 10 years even, that a lot of, a lot of teachers who have been teachers who have been teaching for that long really don't know what a university library is like anymore. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, I just read an recent issue of FOIA and there was a, um, a meeting much like this between high school librarians and university personnel and I guess it's been going on for three or four years and they were doing an interchange in terms of what skills were important in high school mm -hmm. in terms of success in college mm -hmm. and they talked a lot about the databases and, and I mean they stressed mm -hmm. that extremely that this was this was the, you know when they got to college that was what they were going to be required to use no more just general web pages that they had to use that and they had to be familiar with that and they did that that carried over and they really increased their use of databases at the high school level and seemed to get positive feedback about that is that what you're thinking too is that where we should be headed is that the kind of direction we should be giving the kids in terms of research? are you saying should you focus more on the database end right and how to use those effectively Absolutely, that's one of the many things I think that can be done um, for students before they hit the university so that they can hit the ground running once they get there, but absolutely. And it's absolutely critical that they understand the difference between working in a database and working on Google. 
Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be um, getting back to the original issue of what, what are the strengths that the students have and where do they need to improve. Um, one of the best things about working with today's first-year students and freshmen is that they have a comfort level with technology that, that I never even had. I graduated from high school in 95, just Still as the web have. was, that, and I don't think I'll ever catch up with these kids. Um, that comfort, I mean, they don't even consider computers really technology per se. Um, so that comfort level is amazing. Um, and it allows them to experiment in different kinds of information resources and they have things at their um, fingertips that, that are really going to help them in their academic lives and in their um, lives outside of college. But with that, they have sort of, they have this self-perceived web savviness that does not include the ability to critically evaluate what they're looking at. Right. So, and that's, I mean, that, if I could say we see one thing consistently with freshmen across the board, that's it. Mm -hmm. That they um, need more work in critically evaluating what they're looking at. So, what's the difference between using a database and using Google and what does that mean? Um, why would I need to necessarily search differently in a database than I would in Google? Um, you know, how would I evaluate a website and decide whether or not I would use it in a paper? Because on the library end, we're not necessarily the ones who will say, well, you can never use the web in a paper. I mean, the professor gets to decide how they want to limit the sources, but we don't do that on the library side. We say, you can use a multitude of sources, you just have to know how you're using them and how to evaluate them critically. Can I add? Um, I'd like to just illustrate that with a <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of, um, of assignments that um, hit our group at the West Campus um, uh, just a month or two ago. We first had one that was an online um, political science class and the instructor wanted the students to do, um, a ba it was basically a library exercise to familiarize them with the library. So one of the assignments was to go to the library and find a journal article about a contemporary political issue. Um, the other part was to go to a database called JSTOR, and I believe SUSD has JSTOR, okay, which is awesome. Um, to go to JSTOR and to find um, to find an, uh, a historical article. So um, we worked with this student, and because of the limitations of this assignment, to to go to the library and to find a journal article in the stacks about the contemporary political issue was a real challenge for this student. And the reason for that is because um, we have, uh, we're increasingly converting our journal holdings to digital format, which doesn't mean that it's a different type of material or it's, it's lesser. We just don't have a physical copy anymore. And so we, we attempted to work with this instructor and she said, no, the reason why I want them to go to the library is to familiarize them, to help to familiarize them with the library. Um, uh, we kind of felt that that was a backwards way to go about um, handling the assignment, just simply because of the nature of uh, scholarly communication at the university level. It's increasingly online in proprietary databases. The other assignment that um, I helped a, a young lady with, she was a senior at um, one of the high schools on the west side, and she could not <coughs> complete her assignment using the um, Glendale Public Library or her school library. And the assignment was this. She had to um, find a newspaper article um, in microfiche. 
It had to be on microfiche, okay? Um, on Coco Chanel, okay? So <laughs> it was, it, the assignment was, uh, if you could rename this school, who would you rename it after and why? And this young lady had chosen Coco Chanel, which I thought was a fascinating choice, <laughs> Coco Chanel High School. Um, <laughs> but uh, the point being is that I was able to go to our ProQuest um, newspapers database and pull up the New York Times from 1972 and get the article right there. It took me two minutes. And then we had to go find it on microfiche. It took us 45 minutes to find this article, but it had to be on microfiche. So one of the things that um, I would say that, um, that high school teachers need to know, and college teachers too, is that um, format-dependent assignments don't necessarily um, meet the goals that you want them to meet. I think focusing on the information is the key. What's the, the what's the accurate information? What's the verifiable information? Um, do you want to go on to another question? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, next question: What specific skills and abilities are needed to successfully conduct academic research at the university level? And you all should have gotten this little half page of paper. We're going to refer to that as we're talking. So if you have any questions about it, let us know. We'll also use it in a breakout session. Who wants to tackle this one? Talk about how they're bolded. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, at the bottom there's a caveat that the bolded statements indicate the vital skills needed in the first year of college. So while we believe that all of these skills are necessary for a student to graduate, the ones that are in bold are the ones that really um, the students are going to need when they hit the ground running in August, their freshman year of college. We had a little fun putting this together because we adapted it from another list. And um, one of the things that all of us um, mentioned specifically was that freshmen in particular don't like to ask for help. They're embarrassed. They don't to think they need it. <laughs> they don't. Well, sometimes right. they don't think they need it. Um, but they're embarrassed to ask, to admit that they don't know something. As students get older, of course, with maturity, of course, comes a, a willingness to admit that you don't know everything. But <laughs> that's one of the things that we notice all the time is that they're very reluctant to ask for help. So that's something that um, perhaps high school teachers and librarians could, could coach them on that. It's okay to ask for help. Nobody knows everything. And things change all the time, all the time, daily. Yeah, I would say that one of the things that at least the school librarians could have influence over is um, <coughs> explaining that, I mean, how do the high schools do? Do they ask for help in high school, or do they have any issues with that? I, I bet they do ask for help. They have issues, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they ask anyway. <laughs> well, at least coming to the, you know, the huge campus at ASU, they really, um, yeah, a lot of times I think they think that they either don't need help, or they really have no idea who to ask for help. Right. So, you know, the librarians, all the colleagues that I work with, every, you know, every academic librarian I've ever met in my life, the reason we work there is because we like to help them. So um, encourage them, tell them that they can get help at the university as well, and certainly in the library, that all they have to do is ask anyone that they can identify that works there, and they will get at least directed to the place they need for the help that they can get. So that would be really big, is to let them know that they are going to go to a place that is much bigger 
and more overwhelming than they're used to, but that they can get help, that there will be people there who want to help them and are equipped and to help them. And we're not going to make them feel bad if they don't know something. Librarians don't do that. Okay. Um, we talked about a couple different things, asking for help, searching out the information, evaluating the information. Exactly. I get a, a lot of students that they get the articles they need, they love that. They get the books that they need, they love that, and all the materials they need. And then they're sort of sitting there like, okay, now what do I do now? <laughs> so I think that, that that is a really, really, really critical piece, how to sort of, you know, put this information together into their paper. So that's a really a huge skill that um, first-year students need. Questions about any of these concepts? Yes. Are there freshman-required classes for media literacy? So they actually know what they're looking at to know to find a credible source or not. Um, is there an actual course? Yeah. I would say no. <laughs> not an actual, you know, course that is For an, credit. that is ASU curriculum. Right. No. I'll, I'll follow that up and just maybe take it a different level. Uh, in terms of how we're communicating, you know, we're supposed to do a five-paragraph essay to pass an Ames exam. Yet, right. if you make a fun little pie chart as to how often writing, physical writing, is the mode that human beings are communicating, probably be kind of small. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do we better incorporate media literacy at secondary level? Um, we recently um, had a, you might have heard about the budget woes of ASU. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you're paying for it. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> so are we. Uh, the uh, freshman level classes are going to increase exponentially in size. Okay, so there are going to be fewer, it's, the faculty to student ratio is going to go up. And one example of this is um, on the West Campus, we have a, a class called COM 100, Communication 100. It's, the, it's a fundamental of communication course. And um, those uh, instructors were struggling with how they could um, get a quality product that integrates all of the key components and concepts that these students need to know and be able to do. Um, and so what they did instead of writing papers as an assignment was to assign a poster session and those poster sessions went on yesterday and they're going on tomorrow and there's there's a hundred kids in each of these sections so that's 300 300 posters or so or I think they actually did them in groups but um, that kind of visual literacy um, would be a really amazing way to uh, to do some some neat assignments at the high school level, I think, as well. Um, Could you yes. explain what a poster session sure, is? Sure, you bet. Um, a poster session is, uh, it tackles a, a problem or an issue in a visual format, and rather than writing um, something expository, it's broken into key components. So if you're if you did a little mini research study, you might have a hypothesis and then your methodology, how you studied it, your results, and then your discussion or implications. You might have... And your sources. Uh, your sources, <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you can't forget your sources. Um, and, and it's done in a really um, visual format so that somebody can look at it for 15 minutes and digest what you did. Um, usually the... Uh, person who put the poster session together is standing near the poster if there are any questions anything like that could you see doing an assignment like that in lieu of an essay maybe for for something um, a brochure a PowerPoint all of those types of things are alternatives to expository writing that um, that 
college instructors assign regularly. Um, there's somebody um, back here. I think, Go ahead. I don't know. For some reason, I think um, picture. But you're talking about text. Yeah, I'm talking about text and graphics. Um, and and graphics. graphics. Text and graphics together Combined. that are that are chunked. So it's not um, the standard five paragraph where you have to have an intro and a conclusion paragraph and that sort of thing. We could probably come up, after yeah. we leave here, we could probably come up with a list of good websites that explain that process yeah. mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and send it to you guys. Mm -hmm. right. we actually, it's also a form of um, research that plenty of students will have to do if they go into the sciences and the social sciences. It's much more common there than it is in the humanities. Right. And engineering. But, and engineering. As well. but, um, and that's all they do on my campus. Yeah. Holly, that's all, all they do, applied But to get back programs. to the thing that you brought up about how you could d devise assignments that sort of increase their media literacy, um, one of the things that we do in information literacy instruction when we can actually get to the students and something that I think could be done in any class at the middle school or high school level is um, web evaluation exercises. Mm -hmm. And right. that, I mean, and it may be something that some of you incorporate already, but for example, um, when I was at the University of Texas at Austin, um, we used to do exercises where we'd come up with an issue, say immigration, and then we'd break the students up into groups, and each and I would give them each a different website. One of them might be a .gov site, one might be a an .edu or a .com, and then ask them to go through a web evaluation to talk about currency, authority, the authorship, all the things that we do to say, is this a credible source, and would you use it in a paper? Um, and um, those exercises, I thought, were extremely fruitful for the students. In addition, <coughs> if uh, teachers would ask them to do a web evaluation if they went, uh, you know, and Googled, but they, they did not have to do a web evaluation if they used a database, that would really uh, increase the time they spend in databases, I think. Even if it's just a quick web evaluation, like three things, you know, like how current, who's the author, you know, what is it? How answer, can you tell? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> Even if they have to do that, I think they would choose a database if they had to evaluate if they did it some other way. Mm -hmm. And that would be so simple. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, that's a good idea. But you know, they still need to evaluate their sources that they find on the database, too. Right, right? they do. I mean, it's gone through some level of editorial process, probably, but there are a lot of different kinds of sources that they're going to come across in a database. They will find newspaper articles, scholarly journal articles, popular newspapers, Book reviews, popular, newspapers, <laughs> popular magazines, mm -hmm. trade publications. Trade. They have no idea what those are and the bias that exists in those. So yeah, they, they should be doing exercises on evaluating whatever kind of resource they're using, including media. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I've noticed about when students do incorporate media texts into, you know, a, as part of their sources uh, or where they get information from, they really, I mean, they already have issues with um, or problems understanding that they need to cite their sources. They really don't cite their media sources. They really don't see that as something that they're supposed to do or need to do. So that's something else Which that was, we can help them with. That was another question I was going to ask. I just got done reading a Henry Jenkins' Convergence Culture. Awesome. Awesome book, you know, talking about interaction between the audience, media, and, and just the flow of multimodal media. Um, multimodal one media. One, one, of, one of the things, uh, well, I didn't come up with it, I just read it. Um, but one of the things I, it, I consistently see is that it's very hard, and not just for illiterate students or anybody, uh, you know, so we, it's not just a matter of bashing on them, it's hard to know where something originated. Yes, right. yeah, it is. And so, 
my question to you is, how do you get students loving the search in terms of going after the, the, the information? The information, actually how to find it. Because many will view, especially in the senior research papers, is it is a tedious process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When, when ASU has programs like Write and Sight, I kind of understand student mm -hmm. points of view when they say, why do we need to spend this much time just tracking down who the author is? Mm -hmm. So do you have any texts you'd recommend where students can enjoy looking for sources? Um, the first thing I want to say is that um, even in a database, the, uh, the inclination for, and this is, I work a lot with master's level um, students as well, um, who are teachers, is to find the first, look on the first page of the results and just pick the first three articles that come up. Mm -hmm. That is um, standard prevalent. <laughs> um, and there's a Human term nature. in librarianship, I, I, I think it's outside of librarianship too, called satisficing. It will satisfy the requirement and it will suffice. And that right. is human nature, yeah. satisficing. Um, we talked a lot about satisficing um, at, in yep. information literacy at the, high school, uh, at the uh, university level. Do I have a text to recommend? No. Um, I think that it's something that needs to be explicitly taught, that you've got to go, you've got to evaluate those abstracts, you've got to look to make sure it is, uh, whatever you're, you have is relevant to the topic at hand, um, and those sorts of things. One of the more effective things that college composition teachers can do, or do do, is assign a, a paper to be written in the student's major area, presuming that the student then is already engaged in um, information about that area. Because if, if the student's interested, mm -hmm. then it, the research is easier. Yeah. The, the curiosity is already there. I have a text that I just sort of picked up, so I, I don't know if I should recommend it, but I've been thumbing through it uh, the past couple of days. It's called Writing in a Visual Age, and it really uh, a, it, it gets to those points, like how to evaluate visual information, how to evaluate websites, and then how to transfer that information from how you've evaluated it and, and what you've gotten to your actual, to actual paper, to actual text. So I think that that is, that's probably, that's one that... Mm -hmm. I, I guess I could send out We're going to quickly talk about um, about write and cite uh, citations um, and then we're going to go into our next um, activity which is a breakout session so you'll have opportunities to interact with the panelists at that time but um, okay you said write and cite so you're familiar with a product called RefWorks um, RefWorks is like um, if you've heard of citation machine or noodle tools, do you have anything like this at SUSD? Any proprietary? You use like citation machine? Okay. All right. ASU has. Yeah, the state of Oregon. Okay. And so what it does is you put in the author and the title and blah, 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 and then it spits out an MLA citation or an APA citation. Arizona State University has um, one of these um, licenses and it's called RefWorks. And what RefWorks allows the student or the faculty member to do is to save citations and then to format custom bibliographies. Um, we still teach APA, we still teach MLA because these 
technologies are far from perfect. They're flawed. They are, they are inherently flawed. They are, they're fantastic. I use them all the time. I can't imagine Saved doing a lot of work. research without them at this point. I don't know how I did it. I don't, um, I don't either. <laughs> before. But we still, every time I teach this, every time I teach APA, I say, you have to proofread and you have to know how to do this because students will, the inclination is to slap that bibliography on the back of the, um, the paper and turn it in and then they wonder why they got a poor grade or have to do a redo. It also does not address plagiarism issues and academic integrity in terms of in-text citations um, and uh, quotations and that sort of thing. ASU also has a site license to safe assignment, which is similar to turnitin.com, and many, many, many of our um, English composition mm -hmm. faculty use and require students to um, run their assignments through safe assignment just to catch any, um, any intentional or unintentional plagiarism. I've taught faculty development classes in uh, avoiding plagiarism um, several times and one of the things that I always tell the faculty to do is to um, scaffold the assignment. Mm -hmm. If you're giving a research paper assignment require the thesis statement and then a week later require an outline and then require a rough draft or the list of sources, the bibliography, and then the rough draft, mm -hmm. and then the finished product. Mm -hmm. So it, you turn it in over a period of time, mm -hmm. and it cuts way down on the inclination to buy a paper from, um, you know, termpapers.com or whatever. Mm -hmm. okay. um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Um, just in the interest of moving on, to make sure that we have enough time for our next activity. Um, we want to thank you for um, engaging in this uh, panel discussion and um, again you'll have opportunities to interact with all of these panelists um, for the next hour. Um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to break into five groups and we are going to um, dissect an actual English 101 assignment. Okay, So we have five um, English 101 assignments. Um, each of us is going to take a group and we're going to give you a copy of that assignment and we're going to have small group discussion about how you all can structure an assignment to prepare now to prepare students for their English 101 assignment that they're going to get in one or two years. expect uh, in terms of the numbers of papers that they'll be required to write within the first semester. Okay, so as soon as uh, Julie gets up here, uh, we'll have her address those, but 
Um, yeah, in the meantime, mine actually had, oh, I'm sorry. My assignment actually included exactly what Ellen was talking about, the, you know, parsing out the pieces of the assignment, the topic, the outline, and everything, you know, to avoid plagiarism. So um, it tells you when the topic statement is due and also when the paper is due. Um, it's uh, from October 30th to November 20th, so that's about a month, about three weeks um, to get the, the paper done. So that's a usual amount of time that a student would have um, to get things done. So, I guess now that this, gives an idea. This one says the first draft is due October 10th. Two copies of the revised draft will be due on October 12th, and the final draft is due on October 17th. So, that's really not very much time. That's really a short So, here we go. Yeah, that's very. And mine actually, if I look at it, the persuasive essay, I think they gave them about three weeks to do the whole thing. So three weeks. And a semester is what, 15 weeks? Yeah. Yeah. So it really kind of depends on the instructor. So there's, because there's no standardization in the writing programs, then students can expect um, a variety of papers assigned, and the number of papers is fluctuating. But Julie, on average, how, how many papers total in a 101 semester? would students expect to write? Three to five. Three to five papers. And is one of those like a big research? Not, not usually in 101. Sometimes not big research, but small. Small. <laughs> okay. In 102, they have big research. I have a big research. Did you have a question? How many papers do they do in 102? Just the one. Yeah. We didn't go to all. Yeah. We'll send Sharon digital copies of all the assignments in a PDF format. And we'll have those distributed to you, absolutely. And then there's some extras up here. Okay, um, you had a question? Yeah, the 102, if that's the big research paper, is it one big paper for the whole semester? Or do they do, what are they, what's the? No, in that one they also do three or four papers, but it usually culminates in one big research paper. Okay, so three or four big smaller ones, and then it ends with the one big one. The 102 sometimes, on at least the instructors that I've dealt with, have the scaffolded assignment where they yeah. do the same topic, various parts of it, like we were talking about in our right. group. How long is a long research paper? Mm, 15 pages. I would say anywhere from 7 to 15. 15 is definitely on the long side. Okay. And the, the students get very upset when they hear that. They don't think they can do it. And then once they do do it, they really have a great sense of accomplishment. They are very surprised and proud of themselves. They are. That they actually did do it. And that is double spaced. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's double spaced. One inch margins. Yes. One inch margins, double spaced, 12 point font, typically. Okay. Um, other issues or questions about the assignments or what you learned in the breakout session? Anybody care to share? Were the assignments um, what you expected them to be? <coughs> yes. Yeah, I, I like it for, for the honors nerd session, the exploratory research project. Mm -hmm. one, thing, one thing I'm experiencing as a student now at ASU, it just seems like it's a trend is that the professors are trying to get inside the heads of how students are thinking and how they're problem solving, mm -hmm. just how, how they're located as scholars. The more we do that, instead of just beat down process, the better. Mm -hmm. That's metacognitive versus it's output. Big time. Okay. 
Yes. What I just thought would be fun to share, what we've talked about, one of the questions I asked was with ASU, with the budget cuts and the class size, I asked what was the class size now? Because I was in a one-on-one -on -one class at ASU back in the 70s that was like 28 people, and I was told they have 19 students and they're gonna up it to 22. So you we are in 33 the to 34, <laughs> we were like, I was like, whoa. So, so that's, that's a positive. That it's that small, I mean, even 22 Are they that small? Yes. Yeah. yeah. For yes. the English comp, yeah, but yeah. the 100 level classes in other fields, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah. 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 The English. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was saying. The yep. English courses. 19 students. Okay. Right now. There is also um, a five week course that every freshman is required to take. It's called ASU 101. That's the course that replaced the Uni 101, which was more focused on success and skills. <laughs> ASU 101 is this um, culture. Yeah, it's, it's an introduction to the culture of ASU. What does ASU value? Um, what, what does sustainability look like? Um, there's very little in terms of actual, here's how you do this, here's how you talk to your advisor, here's how you use the library. Although some of us have been involved in um, creating online modules that explain basic library functions to students. So hopefully that support is still there. And all of this is built around retention and that's a huge focus for ASU right now because their mm -hmm. retention rates are actually lower than mm -hmm. other research one universities of their caliber. And that would be graduation rate? Yeah, reten basically Re retaining not only beyond the first freshman year, to, uh, yeah, freshman, freshman to, to sophomore, and then actually graduating. So they measure it a couple of times. Uh, the retention, the re overall retention rate for freshman students at ASU is 72%. So th basically three out of four students matriculate to the net, they just go on to sophomore year. That's where we get the biggest dropout. Now the, the graduation rate is separate from that, and right. I believe it's 60%, but I'm not positive. Is it 50? Within okay. six years. Yeah, within, yeah, six, within years. six years. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a real huge push for us to um, get these students to get from freshman to sophomore year, because if they do that, then they are far more likely to actually graduate within the six years. The, the four-year degree is really kind of a thing of the past. Most of the students I know take five years to yeah. complete their program. 5.6 is the average, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Other questions or comments? Yes. Just from a personal worrying standpoint, why would ASU get rid of a class based on success and skill of college students? They still have that class. It's just not structured the same way. It's not called UD100, yeah. but it's called student success. Okay. Yeah. And Is it's it required? no, it's optional. It's yeah, unfortunately, it's not required. It never was. Uh, but yeah, it never was really. You were smart that you took it, but <laughs> they, they didn't have it. Well, certain students do. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on mm -hmm. SAT scores or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Were you? Well, that's, why, students, that's, why that's probably why students that have particular scholarships have to go through some right. programs like that's that. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. Any other burning issues or questions as we wrap up? Yes. Well, that just, I'm not that familiar with it, but if there's things that would really help a student 
to get used to campus. I know NAU has a particular thing they do for freshmen. Uh, if there's something we should tell the students, you know, we want to be sure we have that information. Mm -hmm. And perhaps even a visit. Mm -hmm. I know some of the students visit the library at ASU. Mm -hmm. That seems like a really good idea. That seems like a really good idea. It gets them over that whole intimidation factor. I mean, just right. a little bit of familiarity goes such a long way. So just really if they have does. stepped foot in the library before, mm -hmm. they won't be as afraid to go back. My, da uh, my daughter, when she was little, used to come to work with me on Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And I remember one of the professors who, uh, who I knew asked her one time about, are you here with your mother or are you a student now? She was, you know, four years older. <laughs> and, and she said, oh, I've been coming here for years. <laughs> there are various programs um, that reach out to certain groups. There are, there are summer bridge programs. There are, student, there are programs for students who are identified to be at risk in some way. There are programs for um, students who are minorities, such as um, Native American or Hispanic. Um, an across-the-board program would be really hard to define with the 67,000 students that we have. Um, but there, there is an office of college going. Um, we can get that information to you. Um, that will have a lot of the information that you can pass on to your students. So we'll send that out along with the electronic copies of the assignments. Okay, over here. Um, I don't know if you answered this at the very beginning, but what do our high school students have access to as far as ASU is concerned? Library-wise? Yeah. Okay. Uh, students have access to anything if they come to the library. Okay, So they can use any of the 400 databases if, if they come in. There are community user um, terminals. They do have a time limit on them. I believe it's 60 minutes and then you can opt for 30 more minutes per day. Um, students can also um, get through their parents. They can get a community borrower card, although that is $100 per year. However, if the parents are alumni of Arizona State University, then it's $25 per year. You have to be a member of the Alumni Association. There is no off-campus electronic access for um, any non-ASU affiliates. But, you know, through the Scottsdale School District, right. we, have, we purchase databases, and we also have a link. Every school library has a link on the, the webpage of the Arizona State library, right. not ASU library, but Arizona State Library databases, right. which is a whole bunch of other databases. Mm -hmm. So just within our own Scottsdale School District community, we have access to a lot of things. And the databases, and the public library databases yeah, also. the databases from the public library and from Scottsdale Unified School District, if students have um, familiarity and proficiency with those databases, Many of the databases are exactly the same. We have opposing viewpoints, you have opposing viewpoints. We have EBSCO, you have EBSCO. So Secret definitely encourage you yeah. to use, to just get your students familiarized with those databases. They don't they need to make a special trip to ASU. To they could come in and pull a book off the shelf and do research, but they just can't take that book because Correct. they have a Right, right. Okay. Last question. Yes. What have you learned from us? Good <laughs> <What a> question. <laughs> I've learned that your situation is not that different from ours. That's and, and of course what I mean by that, Mike, <laughs> I said I learned that your situation, is that good? Um, is not that different from ours in that because in my session I just happened to have um, only librarians come and um, they have the same issue that we do in getting the teachers to work with them and getting the teachers to understand the, you know, the value added of working with librarians. Um, so I really do encourage all your teachers out there at this point 
you know, you, you'll give your students a real head start if you have them using library resources and working with a librarian because they are going to have to have those skills once they're in college. There's They'll just no getting around that. Then. So I was surprised how similar our situations are. I learned that you guys rock. <laughs> no, my, my group was small but mighty, and we talked about a lot of different issues, and, and I think that I would echo what Julie just said, that, you know, our situations are really the same. We really have the same mission to, you know, to get the students to where they need to be. So, yeah, that's what I learned. I learned that all of you are so smart. I'm just so impressed with, with the quality of teachers in our school districts. Um, some of the, I had the persuasive essay group and some of what we talked about confirmed what I expected in that it's that um, English teachers at the high school level really are committed to making sure that the students know how to do that kind of research and that, that it puts them, you know, lets them hit the ground running when they hit college. And actually, I got, I'm coming away with this with some really great ideas mm -hmm. to talk to freshman faculty about getting right. students to cite um, sources and do it um, time and time again and to do it correctly. That um, you guys had really great ideas. And um, I learned that uh, it's really, really important for us to keep the lines of communication open that education isn't K-12 and then university or community college and university. Um, you've heard of the governor's P-20 council, okay, which is the idea that the education system starts at pre-kindergarten and goes through the 20th grade, which means that, um, that we're all serving the same clientele just at different times in their lives. So the more that we communicate with each other about, about what we need respectively from each other, um, I think we'll be better off and we'll produce um, better students better and better prepared students. Um, so with that in mind, I would encourage any of you who would like to contact us, um, our contact information, our email addresses are at the bottom of that long skinny handout. Please visit our um, library website as well. Uh, we have some amazing tutorials on what popularly, pop, popular versus scholarly is and you're more than welcome to access those and use them. And um, let's keep the lines of communication open between high school and university. Um, you have a small one-minute evaluation in front of you. If you don't have one, Sharon has those for you. If you could fill that out and leave it at the on your table, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.